sharing huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain soaked Lords. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. How's it? How are we doing, folks? Welcome back. It's Andrew Needling, and I'll be your host. This is Moving the Needle podcast. Hey, if you're new to the show, thanks so much for downing this one. I hope you enjoy it. Cheers for all the cool responses to the last episode. It was with Sam Reynolds. So if you missed that one, make sure you download that. We had a lot of fun. Obviously, was teammates with him. I know him pretty well, so there's some good banter. But he really dropped some nuggets, and he's pushing the boundaries of freeride mountain biking with events like Darkfest and really seeing how big and how far you can jump a mountain bike. So make sure you go and download that one if you missed it. Well, this week, I've got... Tane Seagrave. She is such a great ambassador for the sport. We get into all sorts of topics, uh, the challenges of obviously being in a team with her family, her early beginnings in mountain biking, and the pressures of social media, and then going up against her rival, which was Rachel Atherton, which was an idol of hers. I jump into all her accolades in the intro, so without further ado, let's jump straight into the episode with Tane Seagrave. Well, listeners, I'm extremely excited, also nervous, because Tana has got quite the, the CV going and social media following, so if I do any blunders, uh, a lot of the world is going to see it, but she's a junior world champion in the sport of downhill mountain biking. She's got seven World Cup wins, if I've calculated that correctly, silver medal at Worlds. Um, she was kind of in the shadow of an idol of hers, Rachel Atherton, but she's broken out of that shadow. Um, I'm excited to get going. Tana, how are you doing today? Oh, what an intro. Thank you. I'm good, thanks. <laughs> I, I, think you, I think you deserve it and more, yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. No, I'm good. Just chilling in Wales at the minute. Not much happening. Yeah, that's newish for you guys, moving back to Wales. Has it been uh, everything it kind of looks on social media? It looks like you're having a lot of fun and riding your bike a ton. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is really good. We've got a good crew going, which growing up, you know, I, I did kind of have that in Morzine, but n not the same, like, friendship I've got now. I've got, a, like, a good group of friends that are similar ages, and we just all enjoy doing the same thing. No stress, so... Yeah, we go out digging, session a few corners, and that's pretty much the, the daily <laughs> the daily go-to. And you've got a bit of a compound there, haven't you? Like, is it on your property that you've been building or that I see the jumps that Cade and Chaos have been digging? Yeah, we've, um, so we've got a field in our, like, next door to us, and our neighbours have kindly let us rent that out. Well, they're renting it out to us. So we started, Red Bull gave us um, a little budget to kind of get it going. Uh, with James, the guy from Revolution. So he's been digging that. But we had such bad weather over the winter, so we had to put that on hold. So that's not rideable at the minute, but it eventually will be. So we're, we're pretty excited for that. It's actually going to get some work done today because we finally got some good weather. So, Well, I mean, that is maybe the downfall of moving to Wales. I know Morzine, you have snow <laughs> in the winter, but at least you can go kind of skiing or snowboarding. But Wales, yeah, you've got to really want it to garden that in that weather and for the listener at home I know you've spoken about a lot but your family moved out to Morzine and I mean that's a riding mecca even way back in the day before bike parks were as popular as they were Morzine was really one of the early places that people went to kind of get like alpine riding in is that kind of just serendipitous that that's where you found biking because of people coming there to ride 
Yeah, that's exactly how it happened. Because before that, I didn't know at all what downhill was. Um, we'd like we'd go on a family ride and stuff. It wasn't uncommon for us back in the UK to go on a family ride. But I had no idea what cross country or downhill was. And when we moved to France and obviously my parents started catering the chalet and we had riders coming in and it was a summer sport that there. That's when I picked it up and, and fell in love with it. Because before that, I yeah, like I said, I did gymnastics and figure skating, just kind of normal things that I guess girls would be orientated towards. So, um, yeah, it was it was so gnarly, but we loved it. And skiing in the winter, we, we had it very, very lucky. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like because of your surroundings, you're almost forced into it. But you obviously took, you you know, you could ski and stuff. So the usual, like, female side, you obviously weren't scared hopping on a downhill bike for the first time, I would assume. I can't remember being particularly scared because I would go with mum and dad and we would, like, do easy runs. They never pushed me into doing something that wasn't, like that was out of my um, ability so it was just a really nice way for us all to get out I guess and we would do like the fire roads like you'd go up Leger lift and we wouldn't do the downhill track we would do the fire roads and I think one day dad was like right I think she's ready and he kind of took me down there and we would just kind of it was so normal for my dad to come out riding with me and we would kind of just do it when I felt like I was ready to do stuff so yeah it was quite a natural progression that's quite smart, though, that they didn't just throw you down the single tracks, uh, you know, and they kind of got you used to it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you have to. You have to kind of sneak in, yeah. like, because you can't push a child from what, I mean, I don't have a child, but it seems like you guys have had really happy medium of your dad really being there for you and pushing you, but at the same time, like, not too hard. Um, how has that been? Like, because for listening at home, I mean, your dad runs a team, team manager, um obviously he's got to be a father but a team manager and he wears all these hats and I've been watching some interviews with him and I know (laughs) you know I've chatted to him when you're coming down the hill and I mean he's a nervous wreck but I know he wants the best for you but like how challenging is it it's awesome that you've had this like family experience but at the same time it must be super challenging now yeah it is it's not as bad now there was like a rough patch when I was kind of like 16 17 kind of you know, we were getting into racing, but at that age, you don't really appreciate what your parents give to you at all. So, you know, I couldn't really, I didn't really understand how much sacrifice and all the stuff they'd done to kind of get me to where I was. So it was, it was super hard because at that age, well, even now you kind of want your dad. Sometimes you don't want this guy that's always your team manager. Like every single day, there'll be something about the team or bikes or like sometimes you kind of just want to chill and you can never get away with that. But again, that's my fault because I still live at home. So maybe it's my, my turn <laughs> to kind of, you know, pluck up some courage and leave the house. But it's um, it, it does get hard, but it is a lot easier now that I'm a bit older and, um, you know, the team's a bit bigger and, you know, dad's kind of letting go of a few things and we've got the mechanics, we've got chaos, we've got a few juniors. It's just, it's all a lot easier to I don't know to we're not always in that zone still a lot but just not every single day Uh, yeah I can imagine (laughs) I mean have you got a code word or something that you have to say or have you just kind of learned okay I think Tane needs her dad now and your dad's realizing okay maybe it's not the time to ask what tires you want to order at the dinner table or something like that because it's on his mind you know (laughs) yeah that doesn't happen I just switch off now I think 
<laughs> yeah, it comes, just, it comes with I, age, I guess. He does the same. I know he does. There's some stuff because his office is right. I can see it from here, from the living room. So he's all, he always he just takes the mic out of me. He says whenever I've got a problem, I come and knock on the door. He knows when there's a problem because I knock on the office door and I never Ooh, knock you. Yeah. So he says he's like I know when there's a problem when Tani knocks on the door. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I think he gets that every other day. So it's not just me. <laughs> yeah, it's like as a kid, you know you're in shit when they use your full name. You know, you're like oh. <laughs> but yeah like hats off to him yeah no no I love it I think it's awesome and (laughs) and obviously it's going to be a challenge wearing all those hats but I think it's so great to see the family out there and I think when you get even older and you're able to reflect already and appreciate things that's you're lucky you're doing that at your age I think it took me till yeah maybe your age I was 23 till 25 when I was like huh they've really done a lot for me but when I was 18 (laughs) it was super tough I was just in my own world wanting to race bikes or being a teenager and I, I had no idea mm-hmm. how much they'd actually sacrifice so it's an amazing what a parent can do and what about the crazy story which I don't think all the listeners will know your dad made a shirt for you because you were in Morsey in the world champs in Leger and now I'm going to show my age I raced that one in 2004 if I've got the story right yeah that was and a, yeah it, he was <laughs> so proud that he made you a shirt and it said junior world champ or world champ 2013 yeah but you actually were going to go to World Champs in 2012 for your first time. But he got the years wrong. But it worked out that that's the <laughs> year you won anyway, your second year as a junior. But you yeah. wore the shirt. And don't you have pictures of like famous riders signing it at the race? Yeah, I've got Yeah, I've got loads of signatures on that top. I've still got the top. It's um, like some of the most memorable ones were like Anne Caro, but she had broken her shoulder at the time. Um and then Vanessa Quinn, who then came to stay with us yes. the, a year later at the chalet. And it's the first thing I showed her was like, you've signed my top. And, you know, it was quite funny because at the time we didn't, again, like I wasn't a massive fan of downhill until I'd been to another national in um, Avoria. See, that was like the one and only race they had had there. Mm. Um and that's when I think I saw, that was the first race I saw and I had the top there as well. But yeah, we didn't realize it was wrong until like a couple of years before I started racing junior because obviously I was meant to go and race in 2012 and we were like, hang on a minute, like that top you made for me all those years ago is wrong. And then when obviously I, um, it, we didn't like put two and two together until I won in, in South Africa in 2013 and I was like, oh my God, dad, remember that top? Like it, it said 2013 and obviously I lost, like I didn't win in 2004. It was just all a bit weird. That's crazy. I love that story. And you've still got it now. Have you, fr- have you framed it or are you going to keep it? Um, I'm, yeah, it is framed actually. It's in our container with our bikes, but it's always like at the back. Like We're not very good at remembering to kind of put stuff, like we say, it's our home and like mum, I don't think mum would appreciate all the trophies everywhere. It wouldn't, like aesthetically wouldn't look very nice. So I've kind of inherited that, I think. So it just all gets piled up into the container. But I do have to go through it. I think when, when I eventually move out, dad's got a few things in his office. But I think Cade's very, like, he wants all the stuff on, on display and stuff. So we're going to have to meet in the middle, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And, yeah, speaking of chaos, I mean, chaos is now... So I remember the chalet was down the road from Morzine, right? Is that the one you guys had mm-hmm. always or did you move around in when you were in like Leger or down the road? No, 
Um, we moved to, so Saint-Jean-d'Or was the name of it, which was a few, like, um, villages down yes. from Morzine. And it was an old mill. Yeah, mum and dad um, did that up the whole time we were there. So I was there for 10 years and mum and dad were there for 12. And, yeah, we stayed in the. So it was like, obviously, it was a huge risk for them and a massive move. So they um, converted the two upper levels into the chalet. We we lived in this tiny apartment in the middle, which was, I think, those were the years that were extremely hard for all of us when the team was kind of getting going. And then there were two apartments, like a tiny studio that uh, Matt Simmons and that used to stay in yeah. from um, Chain Reaction, Kavarik and all that. So, And then another flat. So we they slowly did them up and sold them off to be able to obviously get me to race it and stuff. And eventually mum just wanted to, to come back to the UK and be close to family. Yeah, and um, so you, you mentioned chaos and I mean, I'm sure the listeners know of your brother, your younger brother. And, and when I first came down there, I mean, he was tiny, but just, you know, always just trying to, you know, he was riding with us, we'd invite him and, and he could really hold his own from a young age. So we always thought, you know, he would, he would be able to progress and become something starting that early. But at what stage were you comfortable to kind of, because I know now it seems like him and Kate are a huge influence on your riding. Like it seems like they help you keep the fun in it, keep you motivated. Like they're progressing you to do sort of tricks here and there and the cutties and things like that. What sort of, at what age were you like, oh, this is a really good influence. Having, having a young brother that's, well, he's wild. Let's just, I mean, that's one word to describe him. <laughs> yeah, I think um, for a long time taking care of riding was a bit of a chore. Because yeah. obviously he was, you know, there was a big gap between us. And then, but I loved it. I loved taking chaos riding, but it was, you know, sometimes I had to look after him. It was stressful because he's my little brother. And like you say, he was pretty wild back then as well. So watching his, just his back wheel, like everywhere, it used to freak me out massively. So yeah, that it was a chore back in the day, but I think there was like a moment where we were like on par and we became you know, we would go out riding all the time together because we were just the same speed. And um, some of my most memorable days are on plenty, like when it's been piss wet and it's just me and Chaos, like laughing at each other, falling over. Like Those are some of the, my most memorable days riding. But then he got really good, really fast. So <laughs> his leap of progression one day just went huge. And I think because I moved back to the UK at that time, and spent two years kind of not seeing him much and um I I was a bit lost I think and like I said I was like 18 I didn't really know what I wanted to do I was living on my own didn't really have a, a good like friendship group in the UK so didn't really ride much either and then when Chaos moved back and obviously me and Cade started dating and then Vero and Leo moved to the UK they were like moved from uh, Bristol to South Wales and it just all kind of started to gel and then and then yeah the more I went riding with Chaos and the boys at the skate park that was really something that kind of just because I'd never really done it before it just sparked up a new love for riding bikes because the progression is what I think you'll know from yourself like the progression is what's so addictive and just like going yeah. from not being out and like trying and trying and trying and I got that at the skate park because that I felt like my downhill riding had, had kind of reached a bit of a plateau and I was a bit bored, unmotivated. You know, I was getting second all the time. I wasn't winning anything. I just thought, oh, this is me. 
So yeah, that sparked up a new, a new love for what, well, for my job, I guess. <laughs> the job became a job, and then it didn't again. So well, it does. It definitely there's that that excitement to become pro, and the pro rides, and then the work sets in, and like you say, it it can be demoralizing not seeing progression in something you're putting a lot of effort in. But that's great to hear, mm-hmm. and and I would assume those skate park sessions and and just playing on your bike has you've seen a noticeable difference in your downhill riding even though it's on a separate bike because i had this conversation with Mm. i think someone the other day on on the how people there's they almost skip the the skill uh building aspect of riding sometimes because you can go straight to you know as a youngster you can get a quite a nice dual suspension that fits you now you're not forced to try on a hardtail Mm -hmm. well that was me i am like I had a hardtail when I was younger, but then obviously, like I say, we had the chalet. So when Vanessa Quinn, who was an X-Bar champion, and Nigel Page, X-Bar cut racer, came to stay with us and they saw the bikes that we had and Vanessa saw how much of a fan of hers I was and they tried really hard and they actually managed to get me a mini version of her bike. Yeah, you know, my dad okay. and that. And they begged, borrowed and stilled. Yeah, so they managed to get me a mini. It was like an intense 6.6, 26 inch front wheel 24 inch back so running the mullet (laughs) (laughs) you're an early um, adopter of the mullet yeah Uh, it was great for Maudine and the steep and dad's theory was our things won't seem as steep to her and because I put that in my head I was like yeah I can ride anything like this bike (laughs) is so good like I sit in the rear wheel so anything steep is just not steep anymore like I felt like I was cheating a little bit but it was like my little secret that my bike was just so good and then um yeah it was just, it's just, it is just crazy because I never really used like did any of the skill stuff dad would put out some logs outside for me to learn to bunny hop but let's be honest when you've got plenty like oh yeah 10 minute drive away the, log, the last thing you, you want to be yeah <laughs> the last thing you want to and I feel really bad now because I wish I'd done it but when you're a kid and you've got you've just been given you know a 6.6 down a bike plenty around the corner it's the last thing you want to be doing is some bunny hops on the concrete. Like, I was like, sorry, dad, not for me. <laughs> I don't blame you. I would have but been, I, I would have been the same. <laughs> I would have been exactly the same if, if the surroundings yeah. were like yours. And, uh, so we fast forward, you go racing and, um, you, you, you start progressing, but the person you aspire to be or you're learning from is Rachel Athen because she's at the height of her winning when you're starting an elite, right? And, you know, how tough was that to, I mean, in the beginning, you obviously just stoked to get, say, get on a podium with her or something when you start getting those results. But at what point are you like, yeah. oh, this is tough. You know, like my idol that I've put on a pedestal is the person I have to beat and I've made her out to be unbeatable, really, or she was showing that to the world. How tough was mm-hmm. that mentally? I think it's odd because at the time, I, I it's not like I had won anything really like and I had a pretty tough time in junior when I lost um to Holly Feniak in 2012 when I was like expected in inverted Mm. commas to win um so that to me was so hard as a kid like I look back now and I'm like oh it's not really much but it was such a big lesson that um I never really I just wanted to take it race by race and I never really got caught up in my feelings and emotions because it hurt so bad the first time around it was like a breakup it just hurt so much that I was just like okay I kind of put like kind of put like a wall up and 
I just wanted to be- get better. I was like, I'm not expecting to win. Like, I just want to get better each round. So that was my personal goal. And there was a point, like you say, where I was just constantly getting second to Rachel. Like, it didn't matter. Like, and when I'd qualify first, I would still get second in the race. So it was just like, I, I can't even remember how many second places I had. Probably the amount of wins that she had, you know, when she had that perfect mm. season. And it was it did it was great, but to a certain point there was a time where I kind of had to have a little chat with myself and be like, You're never gonna win if you don't allow yourself to. Like, yeah, Rachel's amazing. She's she is your idol, you are scared of her, like you do have a bit of beef between you when you're racing. But at the end of the day, if you want to win, you have to allow yourself to go and win. I feel like there was just some weird I don't know. Not that, like, I tried my hardest at every round, but I did think there was a mental block in the fact that I almost was scared of winning. Mm. Weird to, like, explain, but... And then... Once you win, then you're expected to do it again. It's it's quite a burden to carry, you know? Because, you know, if you make the next step, yeah. then if you get I, third, the next one, or well, why didn't you win again, huh? Yeah, I think just from being around it for so long and, like, watching and obviously watching all the racing you kind of pick up on that and I love being like I work so well being the dark horse like I love I thrive off of just proving people wrong like I absolutely love it and it's I felt like at the time it's the only way I could perform so yeah and eventually obviously Rachel didn't turn like she got injured and we're in Liyang so this was my first world cup win obviously I I didn't know that was going to happen and I said to I was on a spin with Manon and I I said to her, I was like, oh, like, and I had qualified second, I think. And I was just like, look, I can't even do it when she's not here. I said <laughs> to Manon, I was just like, this is ridiculous. I'm just not destined to win. Like, I, And then I remember sitting in the start gate and I was just like, right. I was like, if you don't do it now, it's never going to happen. I, li- I, put so, I didn't put any pressure on myself. I was like, if you don't go out there, if you don't pedal out the start gate now and want to win, then like, when are you going to want to win? Okay. So then I won. <laughs> that's awesome so, yeah it felt it didn't feel like I just felt like I had to win there because if I didn't with Rachel not there you know no disrespect to the other girls but I had such a thing in my head about Rachel that if I didn't win there then there was no way it wasn't I don't know I feel like almost the thing that I had in my mind was non-existent because even if she's not there then I can't win so but yeah after that it felt a bit like everyone was like yeah well done I was kind of at home like well, now I've got the bigger thing to do, which is win when she's there. For yeah. me, it was just a relief. Yeah, I was gonna. I was <laughs> actually about to say it. Sometimes, it, even though people, if you're not at a race, you haven't won one. Like it. Sometimes these results become more of a, le- a relief when you're so expected, or you know, you're the number one mm. on paper to win. And uh, you, you've sh- quoted to say you like you. You learn so much from your losses and you, you're appreciative of them. And it seems like that building of getting second and just trying to improve yourself has really helped you in your career. And, and you quote and say it didn't feel like a win to you. And I mean, that's your, you're quite self-critical and a lot of athletes are. And I think it's quite a double-edged sword, but you think that has really helped you to get to where you are, that you're not really satisfied most of the time or any of the time, really. Mm. I think it's only natural, isn't it, that humans are never happy with what they have and we always want more, thinking that that's what's going to make us happy. Okay. And obviously over the past few years, having a sports psychologist and um, I don't know, kind of reflecting on what, what actually, where I find happiness in riding 
I think it's it's just obviously I wouldn't have been out I, I don't know you can't ever go back and be like oh if I'd have done this differently maybe I would have like won more maybe I would have won less like you just don't know but I know that I love competing like I love the whole process of a race no matter like no matter what even when I'm out riding like I I have had to learn to kind of have fun outside of races and I have done that with the boys and that's really fun but where I thrive most where I enjoy myself most and people don't seem to get it but I just love races like I love being there I love having the practice limits I love figuring stuff out putting the piece of the puzzle together so I feel like I'm just always going to be critical of my performance and even though I know there's so many performances that I'm happy about but if I don't want to improve then I just don't feel like there's anything to gain like the the flame will kind of fizzle out you know that's what I enjoy mm. is finding the pieces of the puzzle and improving myself each time so yeah I try not to be like critical of myself but I like to find I just love puzzle solving so so, <laughs> so that, oh, well, the next time I'll, I'll do this a bit better yeah. So that's what drives you is even if you did win, you can say, I think we can do that better. Okay, I mean, now I'm understanding more and I, and I think that's what makes you the champion you are is mm-hmm. is to not be too hard on yourself, like emotionally, say you're working on that with your psychologist, mm-hmm. I would assume, but also it's like a, you're so excited to find, oh, okay, we can fine tune that a little bit or I'm not strong enough in yeah. that or my technical, <laughs> that writing. That, that's fascinating. That's a dangerous thing to have. For your other, for the competitors (laughs) out there, that's for sure. And um, was there excitement or was there relief when you did manage to make a win when Rachel was there? Well, I mean, what's that emotional uh, roller coaster like? Um, It took a while. So, well, I can't even remember the one after that. I think it was Mont Saint Anne. And again, Rachel was coming back from her shoulder. But I do feel like there was a bit of a turning point there because I felt like, like, Rachel's, she's insane, but, you know, everyone has their way of dealing with things and dealing with races. And obviously I've raced Rachel long enough now to know what she's like at races and vice versa. So I I felt like at the time, I, I kind of had to like block everything out. So I started turning my phone off because I, I couldn't deal with the way um, other competitors would talk about their racing or it would affect me. It would kind of be like, as much as I can, can be friends with them, I didn't want their performances or their words to get to me. So I had to turn my phone off and just block all of that out. And it wasn't only them, it was it was also, you know, Vital, Pink Bike, like all those other things that would, you know, yeah. sometimes word things. Like, I don't know, I would have the sickest day practice and, you know, the caption would be, Tracy Hannah on fire, here's Tani in the rock garden. Like simple things like that. Mm. It just would really affect me mentally. And, you know, it's no one's fault, but I had to act on that. So I just turn my phone off, whatever. And then in, in Mont St. Anne, um, yeah, I had the best run of my life. I think to date, probably the best race run um, in my career. Um, just because I think I knew I could win at this point. Rachel was back. It kind of, I had this insane fire inside me. I just, I remember getting down from my run and, and thinking that's either going to be really shit or really fucking good. Like, I just <laughs> didn't know. Like, because it was so smooth. 
and it was just I enjoyed every second of it like I enjoyed riding my bike I was like I said to dad I was just like I have no idea if that's good or bad but I had so much fun like that was insane it was just so smooth so like calm collected and I was just ready for it and I feel like that's the feeling that I try and I don't try and get it each time because if I'm trying to find that feeling then I probably won't get it but that's how I imagine winning is supposed to feel. That's awesome and it's fascinating to hear because I I definitely understand and battled with some of the same things like deciding what outside inputs to take in and and if you just block it all out then you don't have to make any decisions so there's no energy in Mm -hmm. or out so and I think the social media is a challenge these days and you athletes at the top Mm -hmm. have to deal with that plus like you say there's a lot of media there it's a lot of people on the side of the track you know giving you input saying oh you feel good I spoke to Loika about it a lot and he said it was you yeah. know, it was really getting to him because he feels good or his team, they're working on a certain process. And it uh, takes a strong person to be able to see all those input and decide what to deal with, maybe a lot more experience mm. or someone that really doesn't get too caught up on it. But like you said, that's a conscious effort. You try to put your phone away as much as you can, stay off the internet in a race weekend to focus on yourself. Yeah, that's exactly... It was just a turning point because like you say, I think it takes... People automatically think that racers are strong-minded, and I think we almost trick ourselves into believing that as well. Um, hence the stigma around not needing a sports psychologist or it seen as a weakness, which I think is ridiculous. But I, I wasn't seen a sports psychologist at the time, but I couldn't filter the bad and the good. I'm so emotional that I just couldn't pick and choose. And I, you know, I am a people pleaser, so I do care about what people think and as much as people are like oh you shouldn't care you shouldn't care like it does get to you like Luke Luke is a people pleaser like okay you know he loves to he loves to it's not like I feel like now especially in the recent years I've become more of a personality on the scene rather than you know just that racer that's won a few world cups like I love being in touch with my fans I love the just the whole vibe at a race like that's what I live for and that's what why I enjoy my job so much so I couldn't filter what was good and what was bad so in the end I just had to cut it all out like you say so I didn't waste any energy on trying to block stuff out or trying to not see anything and the best option was for me to just turn my phone off but now obviously recently like last year I realized I can't do that anymore because I have created this person for myself and people love behind the scenes stuff so I just, there was a stage where I just like, I unfollowed everyone on Instagram just because I didn't want to see anything when I was at races. And I've slowly like built back in, refollowing like things I want to see. Um, and then at race weekends, I just, I don't go on Instagram. I only go on to post. I won't, I would try really, I have to make a conscious effort to yeah. not scroll through my feed. So I'll just, I'll post what I need to. I did it in Loser last year. Um, but yeah, I just post what I need to because people love to see my side of things. Like, yeah, Obviously, definitely. they can follow the on Red Bull, but they don't get a personal insight like they do on our Instagrams and stuff. And I think, you know, that's such a huge part of who I am now and what I do that it would be kind of silly and almost a bit horrible for me to, <laughs> to kind of just go blank. And I and it's a part of me that I enjoy doing. Like, I feel like it's quite artistic, especially all the stories and, you know, what I put out there. And at that point, it's I can choose what I put out there to my fans. It's not like we say, the other companies, Vital, Pink Bike, all that, saying something about me. It's 
my they're my words and it's what's happened so at that point you know I feel quite happy I put that out I can go and carry on now with my job but it took a while to get there yeah well I was going to ask at what point is it a burden or you're able to embrace it and you say you embrace it but you have a big following on Instagram you know you're nearing 400,000 I mean that's I, I hate the word, but there is some sort of influence because we'll get to it later. But there were a lot of messages that came to me to ask you. And, uh, you know, some of them say, oh, and P.S. she's my idol. I'm getting into writing and I love that she's wearing pink. And and I think you are letting your personality out. But it, at, at what point do you actually realize, shucks, I've got quite a big influence. This is important. Um, does it weigh on you? It, does it ever weigh on you? Because now you've said you enjoy it, but at what point are you like, shucks, you know, I've got a post or the fans need to see this. Like, is there ever a burden of it? Mm. I feel like I'm quite good at it not feeling like a job. I do get into trouble with some sponsors sometimes for, you know, not posting and stuff. But the thing is, is I feel like I'm so, it's so natural because I enjoy it. It's almost like blogging. Like it sounds, it's just another um, hobby of mine. Okay. I, I enjoy it. So um, I feel like everything on my Instagram has always been quite authentic and it's never come from a background uh, brand or sponsor being like, oh, you need to post this. Like it's all very true. Like, but I'm in a very particular position where my team is only, has a lot of sponsors that obviously I've chosen. Like these sponsors have been, I'm in a very lucky position where we only work with brands that, I want to so you know I'm very very lucky when it comes to that so I feel like and you know all the custom kits that's why people follow me and I don't know there are a few times I've been like oh I haven't posted in like two weeks and I do feel the need to say sorry guys I've been a bit quiet because I feel like they might be waiting for something or they want to see something new and I you know I don't have a new custom kit but the amount of love I get sometimes of people like oh don't worry like we understand that you're human too like some people do get it so I don't know those little messages always make me feel a bit better about it but yeah you can't help but feel sometimes that there is this pressure to give back but that's why I love doing my giveaways and I don't know if everyone feels like that but I feel like you know they make my job my job it's not just the race anymore it's also all that social media stuff so I feel like it's just I have to give back like there's so many rad fans out there that you know that have supported me from day one so yeah I don't know I feel like it's a weird friendship (laughs) (laughs) it is you've got a bunch of pen pals but over Instagram and it's a yeah it's a fascinating (laughs) double-edged sword if you're not aware of it and using it for the right reasons but it seems you're trying to use it for the right reasons inspire uh, the next generation I think you've got a lot of you know mixed fans but It leads me to a question that's tough for me to ask because I don't want to come across the wrong way. But being a female in, I guess, a not a male-dominated industry, but there are a lot more males, mm. racing, fan base. Uh, the, the female side is growing exponentially. I see it in the shop here at home. It's so awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what what is that like, uh, being yourself, being on social media, uh, having that following – hopefully inspiring girls, but also, you know, like having to fight against sometimes a male-dominated industry. Yeah, I think um, growing up, it was so normal because I didn't like come in from, because I grew up with two brothers and obviously my dad and I was always with the boys. I was always doing, you know, my mum was very active as well. We were always doing 
crazy stuff, jumping off cliffs, like doing loads of stuff together. And I was always fighting with my brothers. So going into the sport, when I did gymnastics when I was younger, it was almost the opposite. It felt a little bit weird being around so many girls. and But I enjoyed it, like, nonetheless. And figure skating was a bit too makeup and too, like... Um, spotlighty for me like I didn't like the spotlight I would love skating and as soon as I had to do a show or something I hated it <laughs> so I loved the fact that downhill was very I never felt like I know it's such a great community but when I started it I, I loved the fact that there was I had a helmet on and I <laughs> no it was just me in the track and no one was really getting like watching me or so for a long time, I struggled at races going through sections where there were people stood on the side of the track. Like I hated that for some reason. Um, and I could never, I would wait there for ages and ages. And it would um, obviously not be very good for me because I'd be sat in a section for like half hour waiting to just do like one. And, and that's because there were people like you felt the spotlight was on you, not because you were worried about the section. Yeah. Oh, wow. Fascinating. Yeah, more because I was worried about pe people watching me and that just puts me off massively, which is weird because people love watching downhill. Um, but it's been, it's been a, obviously like now that I think back at that, it's been such a huge journey because not that I like being in the spotlight, but I, I found myself in a spotlight. <laughs> it's kind of like over the years, you know, people think that I'm not shy at all because I have these bright pink kits and but like you say it's been a way of me showing my personality and what I love almost but still in my little world like I still have my helmet on my helmet seems like some sort of superpower like I put it on <laughs> and I just I just shut off from everything it's like, I love it so much I just I feel like people can't get in and or that but I still have something to show like it's almost like a yeah, superpower, like <laughs> superhero suit or something. Yeah, I don't know. that's awesome. Some of your kit looks like it. I think, I think the kit you've been designing is cool. It's nice that you can show your side, and it seems like you've really embraced being you and and letting the female side out, like through Instagram and the kits. And yeah, and, and well, that's the. It's been the easy way through the kits has been because, like you say, it's not male dominated, but there's a lot more men in the sport. And I'm not going to wear a skirt in the pits. Well, I can do, but it would just feel, you know, it would feel weird. And would that's you, the sort would of Would you thing. want to, though? Well, that's the thing, is I feel like I've been accustomed to wear, you know, black jeans, black top, cap, and, you know, but you're at your job at the same time you are you're there to do a job so you've got to wear your team kit and stuff okay, yeah. but you know there was growing up there was like if you were to turn up to a day like before you went on a ride and a dress all the boys would always be like oh who are you trying to impress oh who's coming here or like oh why have you got mascara on and you know it, it kind of got to a point where okay well I'm never going to wear mascara again when I'm riding like <laughs> That's, you know, it's actually so it horrible so because that is just guys guys just being guys which is so crap i know but that's the thing is like but because i've grown up in it 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 doesn't affect me as much as maybe it would affect a, a new girl coming into the mm. scene like at my age now like i was young so it was kind of right but if i came in at 26 or 25 
came in and like didn't really know the community and you turn up in like a little skirt a little top which is completely fine and normal I could guarantee that that girl will get a load of stares and like all the boys will be like wait like it's just like such a normal thing yeah and and shame like if you're not really strong-willed and that's what you want to wear you could probably be quite hurt by that like you said okay well I'm not doing that again but you kind of knew it was just the boys but yeah imagine a new girl gets invited for a ride so she comes in her normal attire and then yeah people said that yeah it's a bit silly well maybe there's a lesson to the guys out there you know you don't have to ban oh I'm I'm to blame I like a bit of banter and sometimes you forget that um it's not needed all the time so yeah maybe we need to be a bit softer to the new ladies yeah. coming into the sport for but sure but there are but there are like there's you know I'm so lucky with the boys that are you know my age on the circuit now I've known them for so long and you know the Frenchies especially like they're all just such a lovely bunch of lads but I know that a lot of women don't get that because I always have to say like I've been so lucky growing up um I've only had boys that have supported me that have let me be me and that have taken me in and you know treated me as one of the lads because at the end of the day that's kind of what you want so when you do turn up in a dress it is a bit like they are going to pick on you because you are the only girl there and but that's made me who I am and almost turn around I think a few years ago and be like you know what fuck it I'm gonna I want to wear a pink kit I'm gonna do it Mm. I was like I want to I don't care but because I had my world cup wins to back it up I felt like it was more acceptable so it's just trying to like that stereotype I've just thought I'm in a position now where I can kind of break that so hopefully now if if people see it and guys see it it will be normal to them so people coming in it won't look as weird yeah I love that and that is it's (laughs) great yeah you that is something you're going to do and maybe change the stigma and and something came to mind and I I think you know the saying like if you don't get if I don't if I don't like someone, I'm not even going to bother teasing them, right? And that's how, that is how guys connect, right? So whether it's part of the lads or part of the mountain bike community, you, you know, I think at a certain level, they like you and respect you, so they'll give you a bit of banter. It's the same if mm-hmm. a guy rocked up and you felt he was in Lycra and he should have been in baggies or he's wearing Crocs, and you're like, oh, nice Crocs, mate. You're going you're gonna to give him a bit <laughs> of stick because, you, you know, you're one of the boys or one of the, the crew. So yeah. that's also good to hear that that there's that side of it and um another side i wanted to ask about and you've gone through some now lately is is the injuries um you were kind of at the height of your career and then had you know taken out of injury and then before the 2020 how do you deal with those injuries and 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 what motivates you to to get back to where you were and as some of the listeners have asked that exact question um it was extremely hard because I had had such a good stint without injuries I only had like small injuries so you know small ligament tears I never had something that put me out I think the most I'd been put out for was a sink was one world cup so um you know I think the other girls were getting slightly irritated that I had such a good long stint um with no injuries um but you know I've always tried really hard to train properly and to be to be honest I never really ride outside of my ability like I said I've been taught to you know I do push my limits but always within what I feel like is capable and from myself 
Um, so yeah, I never really had a, a big crash and a big injury until my shoulder in Fort William. And um, I guess, luckily, I'd won the first World Cup. So I was on the high. I think if I hadn't have won the first World Cup, I, it probably would have hit me a bit harder because I just guess I would have been a little bit more of an unknown, whereas I went out as the fastest lady there. So mm. I think that helped massively um, as a racer. Um, but yeah, that um, it was so hard, but I have such a good team around me. So I um, saw a surgeon... Uh, like on the way home as we were driving home so I managed to see a surgeon and I got in the week after and you know got cared for then but um, I don't know I made myself really busy that's all I can remember doing is I just didn't I can't remember dwelling on it I can you know I had a few days where I was so high on codeine and morphine (laughs) that I didn't even know (laughs) I didn't even know what day it was and I was I was sunk in the sofa like mum would come in and like I had to rely on mum to give me my meds because I had no idea what time of the day it was and no like it was such a painful injury that one and um but instantly I was able to move the shoulder so I had a goal every day you know I was given some physio and um it was quite nice to relax actually because I never really had you know pre-covid obviously I'd never really had a summer off like so I just saw it as a good break and I managed to still work. I went to some of the World Cups and kept myself busy. I did some of the um, the interviews and stuff with some of the athletes. I was able to see a different side of some of the athletes that I've never seen before. I was able to watch and learn, and it was quite it was quite cool. I just kept myself busy. We went to Morzine for two weeks, and uh, everyone was riding, so my whole crew was there. And I wasn't going to go, but I thought, oh, it's either that or I watch it all from home. So I'd rather at least go and be with them. So I went there and every time they went out riding, I would make sure I went to the physio. So Laura Robson, the Santa Cruz physio yeah, was yeah. there. I saw her every day. She was she was great. We went to the pool together. I saw some of my old friends. So I think keeping busy and making sure you have, I don't know, a to-do list every day, that was something that really, really helped. And you know, the boys would come back after a day's riding and they'd be on about their like what they'd been doing all day and like but it kind of motivated me. I just couldn't wait to get back riding and it was hard to be there but at the same time like there's not much you can do, is there? Like it's just No, the no, there, there there isn't, but it does sound like <laughs> you know, this question comes up a lot in the podcast and I think you've yeah. hit the nail on the head. You you you've kind of treated it like your job. It is your job to get back and you've made to do lists and you yeah. You work at those and you also embrace like there's a silver lining. You got to have some time away from having to stress about racing and you could see friends. And and I remember that one of my injuries, which came late in my career, like I was bummed, but I wasn't that bummed because I'd never been through it. So (laughs) I was at the races and I didn't have to perform. So, you know, you also need a break from, I mean, I don't know if you're anything like me. I mean, it's maybe a month or two off and you kind of don't think about racing. And then once you start training, Every day is improvement. How am I going to do this season? And yeah. how do I improve? And then you get to the races. And I mean, that's even more pressure. And, and like it's, you need your, your brain and your body to switch off. And, and uh, I think that's, that's brilliant that you were able to embrace it. It was, it was the only way I think that I was going to get through it without feeling super miserable and down and feeling like I was being left out. 
but like you say it was it was also almost a, a relief because I'd gone for so long without one and I was like oh my god I don't know because the best athletes we all know that the best athletes are the ones that go through all these shit injuries come back and still win like look at pom-pom yeah and like, even stronger Rachel, yeah Tracy like they've all done it they've all had these horrible horrible injuries and they come back and win and I had never had that and I was almost to a point where it was just like <laughs> it's waiting for me like it's <laughs> somewhere and I, and I didn't know that I could so my goal was to come back as strong as I left off or near enough like I wanted to be back in the top so with my shoulder I went to Whistler and I could only manage like half a day's ride in with everyone I did like maybe five runs before I turned up to Mont St Anne Worlds but I'd been training so hard I hadn't all of a sudden forgotten how to race a bike so but I actually put up a post yesterday about that because I turned up to Mont St Anne only having done a handful of runs on Dirt Merchant because I couldn't do anything else because I was pretty tired every day and I I was just focusing on world so much and um, at world you get an extra day's practice as you know on the Saturday before the race on the Sunday I did half a run got a front flat and cried the whole way down because I didn't want to be there. I was like, oh, I'd like, I felt fast enough. I'd done all my training. I'd done all my lines. I had a four-hour practice session, uh, session. I was like, what the hell am I meant to do? Like, And I saw everyone riding, obviously, going up and down. And I was in the pits crying to Dad, saying, I feel bad that I don't want to be riding. I was like, I just, I just, I'm scared. Like, I don't want to go any faster. I've reached my fastest. I've reached my limit. And he was like, well, chill then. He was like, just chill. Just take the day off. But you feel like, you feel so pressured because mm. the training session is there. You're like, oh, well, I've got extra practice. I need to use this practice. Like, But in the end, well, it ended up working in my favor. And then I found out that Pom Pom didn't ride that day either. Um, we got first and second. So maybe it, it helped us, you know. But at the time, we saw it as, because <laughs> we talked quite a lot. And she was super, super upset. And she was tired. And we were both, because we were both coming back from injury. But it was nice to have someone to to talk about it too and and kind of you know share your emotions and and that's big so you're able to chat to pom-pom about it even though she's a main main rival yeah well, we rode together like all week we rode in whistler together um we hung out quite a bit and she raced in whistler i didn't race because i didn't feel ready um but i said to her in whistler i was like you know you're gonna win like because she was riding so well and she always does and she was like oh imagine she's like if we came first and second we were at the bottom of, of Whistler um having a drink at the end of the day of end of laps and we just laughed and I was like there's no way man I was like you've got a chance but there's no way that and then yeah well, that's why our faces on the podium were like oh that's <laughs> like, so cool what a cool backstory you guys predicted it like a week before or pom-pom yeah. did it was like oh imagine it was more of a like oh my god imagine if we did that like that would be insane and she was like, oh, I don't care what happens. Like, if you win and I come second, and that's sweet. Like, I just want us to be up there. And, like, she was, she's so positive. And seeing her being so positive, you know, after her foot was a huge injury. And she's mm. already had, like, broken her collarbones, like, four times. And so, yeah, having someone there that's a friend and has also been through much more than I have was, was um, just a nice comfort blanket <laughs> but it must have been nice as well having your dad you know put on his dad hat and say you know really hearing what your struggles are and say you, you don't have to go out yeah. there and and 
it's really tough to to make that decision. You've got the extra practice, so surely, logically, the more practice you do, the better you're going to get. Not always like that. It's really about how you're yeah. feeling and what what you need to work on. And I think a lot of people miss that. And a lot of riders ask, ask me that. Oh, you know, a race and this. I said, you've got to have a plan and a process. Whether it's, hmm. You're not always going to stick to it because you might get a flat and you were planning three runs, so you might only then get two with the time. But have a plan because at least you can say, cool, I did what I needed to do and, and now the rest is up to, you know, how I ride on that day. So um, that's awesome you were able to do that. And mm. you brought it up. You had a cry. And uh, I, I, I think that's awesome that, that we can speak about it because I was like, hey, Chaos, don't tell your sister, but have you got any info for me? What can I ask her? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> she cries a lot. I'm like, you're such a brother. <laughs> Gonna tell, I mean, we all have our cries. Like, I've, I cry more than I, I like to admit. But I was like, Chaos, not that shit. Give me something. But he did say... Um, no, it's true. Yeah, but I mean, good. I mean, this life's, life's emotional and racing is... Racing can really be frustrating as well. You know? Especially when it's not yeah. going well. It's, it's awfully frustrating. He did say he thinks you like to race in new gloves, though. Is that a kind of a, a thing you like to do or one of your preparation points to so have fresh gloves for a yeah. race run i always thought people was like oh do you have a weird thing before like racing i'm like no i'm pretty normal like you know i don't really have a specific routine i'm like quite chilled on race day you know i like to have my nap i was like but that's nothing special and then in maribor i was stressing that i couldn't find a set of new gloves or like clean they need to be fresh fresh yeah clean, fresh like. yeah so they don't have to be new they have to because if not they when you've been riding them they like bunch up here and I, I hate it i hate the feeling of it and in maribor i couldn't find my gloves and then i like i was like oh my god i do have something <laughs> i was like i have to have and then i was like oh the whole team would try and search for some new gloves and i had to put on a medium-sized glove and honestly like because you wouldn't use your morning about. practice gloves it wasn't you weren't gonna have have that happen i well i should have done because they probably would so i wear women small so that they're nice and tight and yeah before my race they have to be either freshly cleaned or a new set of gloves because i just like that tight feeling i was the same i was 100 percent the same yeah. those, those glo <laughs> the gloves on my race I, uh, there's no ways I was practiced. They were I couldn't practice in them in the morning. They had to be clean, not brand new <laughs> yeah. out the wrappers because I actually wanted to wear them in a bit, but they had to be dry yeah. and and fresh uh, and goggles as well. I'm not racing in my morning goggles. So, and I think it. I think I can it's, do goggles. <laughs> I think it's it's all personal preference, but I like the idea of of not riding in seven day old gloves because they get a bit slippery <laughs> and whatever. So, well, it's a it's good bit of prep that. We were talking to, um, I was talking, so I work with Fabian Burrell now, and because um, he works at Canyon, and um, in Maribor, I was doing my nails the day before, so I was painting my nails, and he came in and he started laughing, I was like, what are you laughing at? He's just like, it's just funny, how are you doing your nails? I was like, but they were annoying me, like they were chipped, and they didn't look nice, and I was walking around annoyed at myself, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to take 10 minutes to just do some fresh, a fresh set of nails. And he was like, oh, actually, that makes sense. He's like, I could not race back in the day. He's like, I had to have a clean shave. He was like, I had to look presentable. I had to feel good about myself. He was like, so it makes sense. Really. I was like, there you go. So everyone's got that. So he was like, he 
could not go for a race if he hadn't had a clean shave. Like he'd done whatever weird French things he had to do, and then yeah, set off. So I was like, well, same thing. That's awesome to hear. I also was either to be one day old shaved or clean. One of them, I don't know, but it became stupid because I, you know, it was like, oh, I think I did good when I shaved. Cool. I'm just going to always yeah. be shaved. And and razors are weird like that. You're always trying to find something to trick yourself that that's what you yeah. need to do. But processes are important. And, and I was the super weird with, with my goggles. Didn't have to be brand new, but they were fresh that day. That was my thing. And then, you know, it's, it's, you know, you're going to mm. get ready for a race. That's awesome to hear. And um, obviously 2020 was the most odd year with, with uh, the quarantine and, and almost helped you because you had that horrific ankle injury, right? That was, yeah. So you got to race but delayed. But um, let's jump ahead. What, is, what does 2021 look like for you? What are your expectations? How's the prep been? Um, it's hard to say because... Obviously, the season we had last year, um, you know, I, I came back pretty strong. Um, I had some of the fastest split at Worlds, which was cool coming back from my ankle. That was the first race I had. Maribor was a bit crap because I was tired. And then loser, I pulled it back and got third overall that weekend. So that was, for me, coming out of that season was, like, great. Like, I was like, I'm fresh. Um you know, I've got a few things left of my ankle, but I can just work on the season. Um, and it was the first time, obviously, in a couple of years that I hadn't been injured. So that was really exciting for me to kind of work on my body again without having injuries. But obviously, it, it's never that easy. It never worked out like that. So um, I had a few more niggling bits of my ankle that I wanted to get sorted. I wasn't looking too far ahead because of the season we and I was like, oh, we're probably going to get some more that are cancelled. And we have done. Uh, it's been a super long winter. We haven't been able to travel anywhere from the UK because mm. we've literally been on the red zone. For Some people have managed to get away, but I think it's been a, like lots of paperwork and lots of driving. And, you know, the boys, are, they've got such big FOMO. So the boys never want to go anywhere because they're worried that, like, the other like, the crew's gonna have a mad like dirt jump session or something, so they won't come. To, they won't come and ride down here with me. But yeah, we've just tried to kind of keep it fun and keep busy. But it's I had a, I actually had I think I overtrained a bit, you know, cause I, and I hit a massive brick wall a couple of weeks ago and ended up having a neck spasm, which I'm still de dealing with now. And I think it's just been so hard to kind of um, have a plan. Yeah, with the, like the moving of the first race. Like yeah, just, well, even peak. without that, even without that, we would usually have test camps. So I'd be like, okay, well, I can. I've got a block of training before this test camp. I have a few days off of doing nothing. We go there, uh, test. What well, I do four days of rhyme. I might come back another couple of days rest. Second block of training. We go away again. And I've had no, we've had no, you know, we haven't been able to go away at all. I've had no testing on my downhill bike. We've done a few, you know, at revs and nearby, but they're tracks that you know off by heart and it just always feels the same no matter what. So that's been quite challenging. But like I say, we've just been having a load of fun, really. Like, <laughs> well, it's 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 worked in the past having fun for you, yeah. so it's it's good to keep it fun. 
it's been such a challenge to not overdo it. Like I say, I, um, we had a spot of good weather a couple of weeks ago. So, and I managed to get through the uh, dirt jump line near the house, which is like a, a big tech line that, you know, it's quite impressive. You get through it. So I was stoked on that. So I was going there every night. I was in the gym every morning. I was doing downhill laps in the afternoon or like, but it was just so sunny. And because we had such a crap winter, I was loving it. And then before I knew it, I had to rest a bit because we had a team get together. I had three days rest and I was getting worse every day. Like I just must have, because I went from so much to so little, I just completely folded and had this neck spasm, couldn't do my testing. And yeah, so it's been a pretty rough two last few weeks, but it'll go good, good again. You can't get the good without the bad. So well, yeah, we I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> It's funny how the body often says to you, I think enough is enough. And, and then, you know, a niggle <laughs> yeah. comes and then you realize you've got to take a break like you did at World Champs. You just, that extra day yeah. wasn't in your plan. Um, yeah. And then what I wanted to know was, I've got some listener questions and I was wondering if you'd be happy to answer them. And you said you're pretty into talking to the fans and there was an overwhelming response, oh. which, was, which was pretty cool. If you're happy with that. Yeah, of course. And the cool thing is we have answered quite a few of them. So I just we just quickly go through a few we've answered. Um, what do you do in, uh, when you want to be part of the DH MTV scene but bikes are just too expensive from Jadina on Instagram? So she's obviously a loyal fan and, and quite excited about the DH scene. It's a fair question, isn't it? Yeah, it is a fair question because it's not obviously not a cheap sport. Um, but I do feel like you don't need top of the range to go and have fun and improve. Um, it's so hard, like we say, because you see on social media, all these people have these fancy bikes, new parts, especially all the pros, because that's what we get given and that's what we have to ride. But I'm not going to lie. We've had some of the funnest days when we've picked up some crap bikes and, done some little mates races between us or you know we picked up a unicycle i know that sounds ridiculous but you don't have to start big to start out and there will be a community of people you know that, and even those that do have fancy bikes will probably ride with people that don't that's what's so cool about our sport is you know it's very accepting and the other day we've been right we've been digging some trails near us some private trails which actually got stravered so they've ended up being not private anymore but we turned up there and there was like a group of like 10 lads in trackies and on hardtails and we had our fancy bikes like doing a load of laps and their smiles the grins they had on their face just made us feel so bad because we were hating it because the weather was shit like we were cold wet and we yeah we got to the bottom of this track and there was just 10 lads in like tracky bees, um, shit bikes, and just smile grins from ear to ear. So, and they were loving it. They were absolutely having the best time. So, I do think it is possible. And um, but it's so hard for me to say because I do have all the all the kit. But obviously, there was a time where we didn't. And you can start small, just like your own skill set, I guess. Yeah, and I think that was brilliant advice. And I was going to jump in and say the same, like you can ride a 26 inch bike and have just as much fun as a mullet bike or mm-hmm. 29er. And I, I hope uh, you go out there and find something you can ride. And the people in the mountain bike community do not judge. So that's the cool thing. So try not compare yeah. your bike to someone else's bike or your riding, you know, you're in your own little world and 
everyone's having you know fun so yeah i think that's brilliant advice start small start on a uh, whatever bike you can find and then the mountain bike community is cool like someone might offer you a part or help you out if they mm-hmm. see you having fun and, and you've got a little knack for it so that's awesome so thanks for that and then how do you overcome injuries from harvey on instagram we've touched on that best way to become faster dh i mean that's that's a pretty good question it's a broad question there's no maybe one way but if you quickly (laughs) give someone advice on getting faster dh ride more dh yeah well it's so simple isn't it like it's it looks hard but because we always say like we train in the gym so often but the gym isn't going to make us faster the gym just makes us able to take more hits and obviously hopefully fingers crossed not get as injured so my trainer always says like downhill riding bikes is the best type of training and always if I would rather go and do that than go in the gym then that takes priority like bikes always take priority so I think riding your bike but also it's quite important to maybe set yourself some goals like I find it recently I've kind of told myself well every time I go out riding because I'm I'm very comfortable in my comfort zone and I'm very good at staying in that and I just thought the best thing for me is not to set unattainable goals or like times or but to try something new every time out because that's what I want to improve personally so you know the other day I tried flat pedals for the first time and I feel like that's kind of really improved already in in like a couple months and then the other day I tried some opposite whips and I like I was stoked on that so I think yeah setting yourself some some different goals every time you go out riding yeah I think that's that's brilliant um and I think that's why the top races and athletes become so good and stay there they're always trying to improve themselves or challenge themselves Mm. so yeah go out there ride more and I think sometimes if you're trying to get faster at downhill well downhill's you know you're on the clock so do some time runs on your own just with a stopwatch Mm -hmm. you don't have to be that accurate to mimic being in a race and you'll get more comfortable being in that that race zone because the top racers are so Mm. used to it I mean you can come back from injury and when you hear those beeps you're just so subconsciously in that Mm -hmm. mode you know so that's awesome. Uh, what do you recommend to a beginner girl in MTB? P.S. You're my idol. So I said you got lots of fans out there. Um, sorry, what was the question again? What do you recommend to a beginner girl in mountain biking? Um, again, I feel like my advice is so crap because it's so literal. But if I could kind of go back and tell my younger self, it would be to be myself a bit more not be afraid to you know stand up to the lads and you know give them a bit of shit back and a bit of (laughs) you know just because I feel like it can be very intimidating but you know and there are girl communities out there there's so many Facebook groups and Instagram riders and all the girls are always looking for more girls to ride with as well so if you don't feel comfortable going out with the lads there are girls out there that you know are looking for other girls to ride with and I think that's always such a good way to kind of get into it and feel comfortable is finding girls that, you know, are on par, on your level, and that you can chat about girly things to as well without all the boys being like. That sounds like sound advice. <laughs> and, and if someone, I don't know, what about if someone does say something silly as a guy because they're insecure maybe to try not take it personally? <laughs> I know that's easier said than done, but there will be some silly yeah. person out there making a silly comment and and uh no the sport is just very ride welcoming. faster than them that 
that always shuts them up. That does. <laughs> and you're, you're really good at doing that. I like that. That's, that's the underdog in you as well. Uh, quick one. Um, so thanks for that question, uh, Kote on Instagram. When are you coming to ride in South Africa from Daniel? Um, I'm not sure if COVID didn't exist, it would be easier. But I know Chaos has been out. So he's probably told you about it. I know. Yeah, well, I think he's going back out for Dark Fest again. Yeah. I would I would love to, but oh, our training, our, I'm always so paranoid that I'm going to miss out on training and my training blocks and stuff. And it's obviously quite far, but I would, do you know if there's any going to be any more World Cups and stuff? I don't at this stage. I, I hope so, but I, I think that leads to one of the other questions. And someone said, uh, are there any restrictions from regular life being a professional, i.e. not going out on nutrition? And you've just answered, you know, sometimes you can't just go to all these great riding destinations because you're focusing mm -hmm. on, on your job. So, no, but maybe it's an off-season thing to get out of the the crap winter for you because I know Matt Walker comes down and loves it and he escapes yeah. like three, four weeks. He says he's going to probably come twice now to, to come like before Christmas yeah. and maybe afterwards because flights are pretty reasonable and then food on the ground's cheap and the riding's really exploding down down here. So maybe that's an invite for you yeah. and you and Kate and Chaos too. <laughs> and we got dirt chumps. We got a lot of dirt oh, chumps for the boys, so they'll love it. I was gonna say, if there's no dirt jumps, the boys definitely aren't coming. No, no, we've got we've got a couple within like twenty minute drive just around me. So you'll be, they'll be fine, and, and yeah. Well, that's so funny because Pom Pom invited me to go to her house, and she said, "Oh, and we've just found some dirt jumps, so Cade won't be bored, so he can come too." That's so like awesome. people already know in advance. <laughs> yeah, and that's there's another one growing up with chaos. You know how much does that motivate you? But I think you've spoken about how the boys motivate you and and push you to be be a better rider um yeah. how do you how do you deal with days when you feel bad and don't ride as fast as usual that's a really good question because everyone goes through that Thailand on instagram yeah oh, there's so many times that i don't feel like it or that i'm not performing as good but usually there are reasons why that you know i could have had a shit week beforehand um i well, sometimes there aren't any reasons why, but sometimes we plateau in our training or, you know, the, the bodies are weird and, and mad. And I don't think you can always seek for progression because that can be quite dangerous. Like As much as it's a good motivator and it's, it is good, sometimes it can be quite the opposite. And if you're constantly seeking for progression, there will be a certain stage where you do plateau or you're not as good. And I feel like maybe you should switch up your goals just for that one session or maybe if you're tired maybe don't go out riding don't set yourself up for failure in advance maybe try something else like and if you still want to ride your bike maybe try and do some wheelies instead or some manuals and maybe not timed like that's how I try and do it if I still want to go and train and I'm not feeling good I'll just switch my focus to something else it's always about tricking your mind and brain into thinking so that it's doing what it wants it to do but without actually doing what it wants. It's so hard to explain, but... No, I think yeah, that try was and great shift advice. The focus, I think. Yeah, try and shift the focus onto something else. Or, you know, sometimes it's good to take a break. Maybe it's your body's way of telling you to just chill out for a bit, go and do something completely different to take your mind off it as well. I like doing that, going shopping or going to a lake, swimming, going out for a walk with my mum and just reset. 
That's great advice. I think often when you're struggling or frustrated with something and I'm preaching to myself, you kind of want to work harder at it and push. And sometimes you actually mm-hmm. have to take a step away and let the mind relax and it actually figures out that problem in your sleep or, or anything mm-hmm. like that. And uh, Tony, this has been amazing for me and I'm actually been, <laughs> I need to make some notes and take some lessons from it. I know the listeners definitely will. But one oh. thing, when we did get in touch to do the podcast, which I don't want to... I feel like it's just words on it. That's great. That's great. Uh, that's how you figure things out. And, and uh, I know we're going to get some good messages back because you've definitely helped these people. But the, when we did get in touch, is you were sharing some stories, and I forget the exact things, but it was, it was around the pretense of, say, rider safety and do the riders have enough voice. So I've stepped away from it, so I'm not at all the races. You know, what is it like and maybe... Do you think they need more of a voice and what do you think can be improved to kind of benefit the riders more? Yeah, this is such a broad subject because <laughs> it's obviously it's not the only issue that we have at World Cups, but it is a major one. And I think it kind of came to light, obviously, when Brooke McDonald got injured in Mont St. Anne. And um, our managers, you know, they, they do have manager meetings and they're trying really hard to make sure that every World Cup round does have the safety procedures that we need. But I feel like that should be the UCI job, the UCI's job. But then they're like, they come back and say, oh, but it's the venue's job. And, you know, there's a lot of, um, I think, push of the blame by the UCI. It's always someone else's problem or someone else's fault. Um, so... It's really hard as riders because we want to race. We're always going to want to race. But I think it will get to a certain point where if the safety procedures aren't in place, the riders are going to have to come together and, you know, maybe take a stand for it or maybe not start. But there's always the worry that there will be certain riders that might still go and race. But I think if there's a majority of riders that do stand together, but the communication as well is pretty crap. So, you know, it's... um, again and it's hard for the riders to get involved because we're so focused on training we don't want the stress of that so you know fair play to the riders reps for for kind of taking that on their shoulders but I don't think they have a big of a say as they initially thought they would going into stuff like that which is sad but again I don't know enough I just get past information but I would I definitely think personally I think that that you know if it was down to me being one of the most dangerous sports and, you know, in extreme sports, there definitely should be a bigger and better and more thought out safety procedure to get people off the hill quickly and for there to be at least someone that knows what they're doing, like, on the hill. Because I was in... I know that, obviously, we all know that Brooke was there for ages because the guy had gone... The helicopter pilot had gone on lunch, a lunch break, and there was no backup helicopter. So, you know, those kind of things should be set in place. I know that in Fort William, when I did my shoulder, I was on the hill for three hours in like the freezing cold. And obviously they are trying their best because there were other people that were injured. The weather was real bad. But like I said, maybe they need backup plans and they need Mm. more than just the one ambulance waiting at the bottom. They need more than just the one evacuation system. You know, that always needs a backup because you can't be sure what's going to happen. And yeah. it would be nice for the races for you to start and know that if you have a big crash, because you know it can happen, that's why we all get scared. You do sit in the start gate and think, you know, you 
where you are on the uplift and the random thought in your head is like, oh, what if you have a gnarly crash? Like, oh, cheers, thanks. <laughs> but maybe it would be more of a reassurance if you knew that there were the right people to take care of you. I think that is something that kind of stresses me out a bit at race weekends, wondering, not knowing whether there are the right people there to kind of take care of us. No, I appreciate you sharing, and I and I think a lot will come of more of us speaking about it. Uh, everyone has an opinion, mm. and then they can maybe formulate. But it, yeah, it sucks that you've had to be on the hill for a long time, Brooke. I mean, no one planned for that. But unfortunately, if they're not planning enough for the worst worst case, then sometimes that mm -hmm. happens, you know. So hopefully, these discussions come up more. And yeah. you're right. Like as a rider that's actually participating, he doesn't really have the time, and he shouldn't be. Uh, using his energy on, on solving these issues. But yeah, more open communication. The riders need more of a voice because, I mean, if they're not comfortable, they're not going to do as good of a job. And you don't do as good a job, then there's not as good TV coverage. So mm -hmm. it's like everyone hopefully can work more together. So I'm definitely not asking riders to slag off a certain, you know, aspect of the scene. But it does seem like there's a disconnect mm -hmm. and not everyone's working together. The primary focus must 100% be one of the primaries is safety. I mean, these yeah. you riders are risking life and limb, and I spoke to Sam Reynolds about it from Rampage. And it's like everyone else is getting paid. The riders do get paid from sponsors, but they don't really have an appearance fee to hurtle down cliffs in Rampage where you really honestly could die if you put a foot wrong. Yeah. And if you're just yeah, asking definitely. for a simple thing like some catch fencing, that's not a big ask so that you're a bit more comfortable so that you can do mm -hmm. your run or, or things like that. So, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. The stigma around it as well, like, extreme sports athletes asking for safety never comes across as it should so it yeah. is a hard one but it's like if you want we always we always try and tell people but if you want us to perform at our best and give a show then we need to we need to know that you know we're not we are prepared to crash like we are prepared for the consequences consequences but we need to know that if that does happen then people are going to do their job in the same way we do our job it's just you know I've had some great experiences, you know, I'm not dissing at all the the medics. I've had some like like they've taken care of me once they're there, but it's just the whole procedure and the organization of the actual safety at the races, I think that needs a little bit more work. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more and, and again the more the more they get it better and put more effort, it's only gonna be better for everyone. I, I really appreciate that. I think it'll be a stupid question to ask me about your goals for twenty twenty one. I mean, we all know you want to be at the top of the sport. You're working hard for that. So I'm not even going to jump down that. But what I do want to do is wish you all the luck. And, and thanks for sharing Thank your authentic you. side on social media. And, and listeners out there, give her some love uh, once this episode drops. If you enjoyed something, just uh, yeah, let me know. Let her know. I, I know that drives you. It drives me when I get some cool messages. So thanks to mm -hmm. everyone that listens and reaches out. And there were a lot of listener questions. And it's been pretty cool to go through this. So thanks so much for your time. I'm honoured to be on here. Thank you. And one last thing before you guys go. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend. Make sure you subscribe. Leave us hopefully a five-star rating and review. I read all those reviews. It's awesome getting them. If you got any feedback, you want to send me a message, I get all those messages. I try to respond to them all. I really appreciate it. It's been a fun journey so far. So until the next one, stay well. <laughs>